Hello, everybody, and welcome to the BusyDad.com podcast, a place for business dads to share advice, experiences, and stories of successes and failures as it relates to being a business owner, business professional, or an entrepreneur, all while still kicking ass in the dad game. We hope you like the show, and please subscribe to follow us to keep up with new episodes, and also be sure to check out BusyDad.com for merch, blogs, and much more. That's B-U-S-I-D-A-D dot com. Cheers. Thanks for coming on the show. How you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? Man, I can't complain. It's a little chilly outside. Uh, I'd like to be on a beach somewhere with a margarita in my hand, but, <laughs> you know, you got to take the good with the bad, the hot with the cold. Yeah. Where do you live? I'm in Mississippi, man. Can you hear the, the southern draw? The, the southern draw of my part? voice. Tupelo, birthplace of Elvis. Hmm. Yeah, I'm originally uh, originally yeah. an Arkansas native, uh, but uh, but yeah, I've lived in down here in Tupelo, Mississippi for about, what is this, 2021? About six years, I guess. So, well, listen, man. Let me introduce you to everybody on the show, and then we'll get we'll get started because I'm uh, I'm super excited about this one. Uh, your bio is is one of the the cooler, uh, more interesting bios that I've had. So let let me get this thing started here. So today on the show we've got Mr. Kip Brooks from Charlotte, North Carolina. Age is 42 years old, and he is the owner of Brooks Empowerment Academy. Kip Brooks is a certified trainer and master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming and holds certificates in leadership development, neuroscience, root cause release, and hypnosis. He is a best-selling author, certified international speaker, and an empowerment and breakthrough coach and co-founder of Brooks Empowerment Academy, along with his wife, Marina Brooks. Did I pronounce that right? Marina? Yes. yes. Okay. Awesome. Kip has been featured yeah, on it. Entrepreneurs on Fire and was involved in the movie rendition of Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. Out of 10,000 possible picks, he was chosen as a part of 250 coaches uh, brought in by the president of Paraguay to teach transformational and heartfelt leadership to many leaders throughout the nation in a movement called Transformation Paraguay. Things weren't always great for Kip. He had his first thoughts of suicide at eight years old, began drinking regularly, taking prescription antidepressants at age 15, and after over a decade of mental and emotional anguish and various drug use and multiple suicide attempts, he had finally had enough. He quit cold turkey and went looking for a better way, refusing to believe that depression was just who he is. As his children came into the world, only fueled by his desire for a better life, a better way, then, after the passing of his daughter in 2010, he refused to live in vain anymore and vowed to leave the world a better place because he was here, not because he left it. You've been homeless, heartbroken, but instead of being bitter, it made you better. And at 14 years old, staring down the barrel of a gun, you made a promise that if you ever found a way out of the darkness to live in the light and live in the light, then you would spend your life helping others and you do the same right now awesome man that is uh that's some inspiring stuff man <laughs> yeah every time uh every time someone asks about it or you know uh, or bio gets brought up I'm like, man. <laughs> it's a whole lot of uh whole lot of stuff uh well it sounds like it sounds like uh, you've had a uh a, a life full of uh of experience in a lot of different things and uh you know they say that success comes from struggle so usually the more inspirational people and uh, the more successful people the the more you find struggle in the background of a person the more you find success and inspiration in who they turn into and who they become you know if it's about your mindset which is what you teach right yeah yeah that ends up being the uh the foundation of everything really I, I believe everything comes from a uh, mindset uh, i do a lot of um communication and relationship um trainings and things you know for 
companies, but also people as well. Uh, but even that, it's like it's it's all in your mindset and the intention you set. Um, I'm actually uh, taking uh, a part of a, a summit on oh, actually tomorrow, <laughs> and um, that they're bringing me in to talk about legacy. And I said, like, in my opinion, that's what it all is. It's like the intention we go into any interaction is um, determines the outcome we get out of it in, in any situation as well. But it all starts with that that mindset, like what what's your intention going into it and uh what are you looking to get out of it for you and whoever else might be involved and that guy's the way and you know uh, as i started applying that in my life it really gave me a different perspective not just of things i was presently in or moving into in the future but also the way i started seeing the past um you know all those different things that happened in my life that had uh kept me trapped in depression or uh, suicidal thoughts and things. It's, it's, uh, I can look back at them now and I'm actually grateful for every single one of those because I'm able to see, you know, what it brought me, you know, and the, what seeds it planted. I mean, there were definitely negative ones, painful ones, but um, yeah, seeing the, uh, the good stuff that came from it, you know, the relationship I have with my kids, there's no way I could have had that if, uh, if I would have had a better home life, you know, if, uh, uh, if my dad and I would have had a good relationship or my mom and I, it's like, I wouldn't strive so hard to have the relationship I do with my kids. I'm not saying I wouldn't have a good one. I'm not saying it's not possible. You can be a good parent <laughs> without having to go through a crappy childhood, but it, um, brings a different level of intention, uh, when I interact with them and my wife and friends and everything else so well uh, so suicide at eight years old i mean that's a that's a pretty heavy statement you know most eight-year-olds uh are playing with legos and making friends and learning who they are as a child and what interests them and and things that they like to do for fun suicide that's heavy well that's a heavy heavy burden for anybody to bear to having suicidal thoughts i can't imagine eight years old what what was the situation i mean what led you to being an eight-year-old living with that type of turmoil um my dad was a uh was an alcoholic um full-blown but high functioning um and i don't think he ever uh ever wanted to be a parent he wasn't uh, he wasn't <laughs> the family type man. Um, like his idea of uh, one of the few fathering father son bonding type moments. I remember I was around, uh, five years old. I was in kindergarten and he was telling me, uh, his canine teeth, he had personally taken a metal file and filed them down to a sharp point because he used to street fight all the time. He, um, he spent his late teens and early 20s and uh, most of his 20s, I guess, in uh, in Chicago and got in a lot of trouble with uh, street gangs and things there. And so he's showing me his his teeth that he had filed down and he's like, and he's telling me like how to bite the end of a man's nose off and like poke his eye into his skull, like just twisted stuff. That I don't think a five-year-old should even know is possible, much less any reason for it. And it was, um, then, uh, but most of the time when he came around, it was just to discipline. So I would, uh, would do something that he felt warranted, you know, um, uh, some physical discipline, but sometimes it'd be two, three days later before he would make time in his day to come home from work. Cause I almost never saw him unless he was passed out drunk on the floor. And, uh, so he would just come in not say anything and just start swinging and, so, and then my mom was on the other end. She was, uh, she would remind you of every mistake you ever made and then lecture you for this new one <laughs> that you had just made as well. And so from her, I was, you know, as a kid, was taking things personally, like pretty much all kids do. And uh, so from her, I was like, man, all I do is screw up. And then, uh, then from my dad's side of it, it was just like, there was always this like paranoia and just insecurity, you know, it didn't matter if I was at home or not. Like, um, 
actually at that age, I enjoyed going to school because um, uh, it was the escape. You know, I, I just didn't feel safe at home, even though my parents were almost never there. But it's like whenever they came home, never knew what to expect. And then there was a particular time when I was about eight years old that uh, my brother and I were playing. My sister was in the room. She was not even a year old. And I, uh, my brother and I were always roughhousing. We were always at it, and, uh, uh, like boys tend to do. And my sister was trying to get in there, and I was trying to keep her protected. And so I uh, was putting her you know, on, the, uh, on the bed away from us. And so she wouldn't get hurt you know, with us grappling and everything. And um, she was getting upset because she wanted to play, didn't, you know, was trying to get in. And so I tickled her to let her know everything was good. And she started laughing and she squealed because she was laughing so hard. And apparently, found out later, dad just assumed she was hurt and just came in and looked for someone to swing. And he picked me for whatever reason, um, just blew in the door and started punching. And I asked him to stop and he wouldn't, but then also my brother hopped in and my brother was about four and a half years older than I am. And he hopped in the middle of us and that was enough to make my dad stop. And then he left. And I just remember sitting there thinking, it's like, how come out of three people in the room, I'm the one that got pounced on. And then when I asked, begged you to stop, you didn't. But then, uh, and I like, I just remember looking up, seeing you know, my brother standing there between us and telling him stop he he left right then and i was like why is he worth it and i'm not you know and so my eight-year-old mind it was just like i'm worthless to this family and then later that night he actually came in more drunk than he already was and yeah uh, uh, I, I guess apparently he had figured out what had happened or whatever was feeling guilty about it came in tried to apologize and uh I actually refused it. I, I pretended to be asleep and he laid down on top of me, like sideways, like perpendicular. And he's like, you need to forgive me. And th there was just something in me. I was like, he, he can kill me. He can rip me apart, but I will not give in to this. And he grabbed the bed and he started pulling his weight down on me. And I got to where I couldn't breathe. And uh, I remember I was just like panicking at the moment. And I was just like, uh, I started like, praying to God right then. I was like, just, just let it in, let him crush me, whatever, but I will not, you know, it's like, please do not um, get, let me cave in. You know, I'd, I'd seen, um, I'd seen the Samson movie. I don't remember what it was called, but you know, old classic movie um, where Samson, they cut his hair and he lost his strength. And at the end of the movie, he prayed to God one last time to have the strength and like tear down this building and collapse it. And that scene was running in my mind at the time. I was like, give me that same strength. Just let me get through this, you know? And uh, it's like, take me out, whatever, but don't let me give in. And uh, finally he gave up and left. I gasped for air and everything, and then it was all good. But um, uh, yeah, in that, I was just like, I mean nothing here. And it's like, he, he didn't even feel remorse. It was like, he was just there, I think, because my mom made him once she found out what happened or something and uh so from then on it was just like at any given moment he could come and take me out or somebody could and it created this um uh, like i would have hallucinations if i saw pictures or uh movie posters or anything something that had eyes or if there was a mirror i just felt like there was a camera or somebody on the other side watching me all the time and it would drive me crazy and my closet doors in my bedroom at that time were all mirrors so constantly like I was on edge felt like I was being watched and I would start checking in behind them all the time and that actually that paranoia feeling lasted until well into adulthood until I learned how to release it but as a child it would keep me up nights um because I just felt like I was always being watched and I was never safe and it started driving me a little bit batty I'd say some I mean animals. yeah <clears throat> I mean I, I I think that would be something that uh that any child would struggle to cope with growing up. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty hard way. That's a pretty hard way to go. But I guess when, when you look back on your life though, you learned, you know, it taught you a lot of things that you didn't want to be as a father. And it showed you exactly, you know, the opposite, you know, the effect that it had on you. It showed you 
the things that you knew that you didn't want to carry into your fatherhood and, and to your children. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, there's in the personal development world, there's so many people that's like, Oh, just focus on what you want. Focus on what you want. You know, don't give any attention to what you don't want. And that's great. And it's, we really should. Um, however, a lot of people don't actually know what they want. And so sometimes, uh, Actually, I would say more times than not when I work with clients, it's like, okay, well, let's find that pain point. Let's find what you don't want, whatever it is you're moving away from. And then do a 180 and look at what's the opposite of that. And that'll give you some kind of clue of what you do want. And then we can dial it in from there what to move toward. And because uh, most people, like when they set goals or anything else or direction or intention in their life, it's they're just moving towards what they think is going to make somebody else happy or like them more, or, you know, whatever. And so, uh, Whenever I found out I was going to be a parent, I was like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to be doing, but I have a great example of how I don't want to show up. What can I do different? And I started reading, you know, the different parenting books and I was always big into psychology anyway. Um, so studied more there, figuring out, okay, what little tweaks and twerks do I have that I don't like and where did it come from and what could I do you know possibly to uh, prevent it and uh, and as I became a parent like I started actually having more uh, compassion I guess for like my dad and, he, and my mom as well it's like you know they were uh, they ran their own little business it was extremely unsuccessful and they worked themselves uh, my dad quite literally worked himself to death um and uh they could just never make it click they could never figure out the formula but their answer to everything was just put in more hours put in more work you know grind harder and they never actually found like you know studied how to make a business work and uh so looking back it's like i understand they were just in a ton of stress they didn't have a good relationship at all um stressed out all the time about work and you know uh us being flat broke and so there would be times and it's still do you know sometimes um kids will come up i've got a ton going on and they just want to hang out with me or you know want my time and i would find myself in the early stages of parenthood like triggered by it you know it's like i don't have time for this but i would be able to catch myself in it and start kind of collapsing that trigger and it's like, okay, every time I get kind of frustrated with them, I'm going to give them a hug. So at least they'll get something out of it. And then I can like move away and tell them to get myself calm down and figure out what's going on. Because like I say, sometimes it would be, um, they were just being really clingy, needy, and nonstop talking. I has a ton going on. Other times it'd be, you know, they'd come up perfectly innocent and sweet and wonderful, but it would still have a trigger. And I was like, where's that coming from? It's like, well, it's just modeling. I figured it, you know, that's what I grew up in. Um, that's to me, unconsciously what I was programmed that a dad is, you know, he's just basically angry. And so setting myself to have awareness to catch those things helped so much. And then I would just go back to the drawing board and say, okay, and keep doing the work on myself and deep dive and, um, and now all three of my kids have an amazing relationship with they'll um uh <laughs> my youngest my eight-year-old is possibly the most stubborn human on the earth yet if i ask him to do something like he'll just do it but everybody else he's he's gonna buck every single time and uh we've just uh, created a different communication with them than what i had experienced uh, to the point that i actually um i gave them all permission like when I ask or tell you to do something, it's just I tend to ask. Um, so you have a right to know why, and you have a right to ask me why. And if I can't come up with anything better than because I said so, you have my permission to never do it. It's like because I can't. I was like I don't want to parent them on autopilot, and uh, I hated myself a couple times for <laughs> for taking it that extreme. But it helped me break down all the other like the. Um, uh, just the automatic little triggers and programming that I had of just, you know, um, 
blowing kids off and which was basically just uh, avoiding my own responsibility as a parent and I say now it's it did something I couldn't um, couldn't predict and was it created in them a security in their relationship with me and knowing that they can come to me and ask things and I'm going to give them straight up advice and there's going to be reason to it you know and uh, um, and now like they don't even question um, even the eight-year-old usually doesn't even question whenever I say to do something. Um, so now I actually have to, if there's a teaching point in it, I actually have to deliver it because they won't even ask for it. They just trust. They know like dad's got our back, our best interest at heart, and we're safe with him. So, you know, they'll, and the communication comes the other way. They'll share things with me that they won't share with anybody else. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good, man. That's, I really, really like that. That's a, a really uh, powerful way to build a bond and a trust uh, with the people that that literally worship you. I mean, there's, you know, your kids, you know, when especially when they're as young as eight years old. I mean, they worship the ground that that you walk on, and so being able to break through and build another layer of trust with them uh, is powerful. And that's that's a that's a really interesting way. And I've I've not heard that before about, you know, because I'm, I'm guilty. I do the because I said so all the time. Like, but my children are much younger. My oldest is five. So most of the time when they're being told or being asked to do something, it's pick up your toys. Why? Because I said to pick up your toys, you make a mess. So <laughs> when we get to the cell, it's they're a little young for that philosophy, but they may not be. I mean, they, they, that may be a, a philosophy that at four and five years old, uh, is something that we could still build that layer of trust. So I really like that. Uh, I like that approach. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the Brooks empowerment uh, and how how did you how did you get from where you came from to realizing that that you had a story that you had uh, a value that you could provide to others in the form of a service on how to empower themselves in their own life. So uh, let's talk about that. How did, how did you get there and, and where, where are you guys at now? What, what are y'all doing? I mean, you had said that you've got a, a, a summit tomorrow. Tell us more about what you do for, uh, for Brooks empowerment and, and how you got there. Yeah. Um, really I started, um, I'd say, uh, somewhere in my mid twenties, uh, maybe a little bit earlier. So, you know, the way, uh, the way I've been living isn't getting me very far. And, uh, it finally like just clicked. It was like, maybe I can try Like I've spent a lot of time being depressed, being sad, being miserable. It's like, maybe I could try to be happy, you know, and, uh, instead of just waiting for, you know, the doctor to give me the right prescription or, um, or some outside thing to happen. I was like, maybe I can actually have control over it. And because um, what I'm doing is not working and started doing, ironically, when you try to do better, you actually start doing better. And then um, things were actually going pretty well. And then when I found out I was going to be a parent the first time, um, I, uh, I realized it's like, luckily, I don't know where it came from, but I just had the, uh, the wherewithal. It just like popped in my head that, you know, I've got a lot of skeletons in my closet. I don't want to dress my kids out of the baggage I'm carrying around. Uh, it's like, I need to, I'm, I'm doing well in life. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm doing better than I ever thought. And most of my teachers or anyone else ever thought. So, but I know I could be doing a lot better. You know, I'm still get home from work and veg out in front of the TV all day. I was like, I've got time to actually do the work on myself and, you know, uh, learn how to be a parent and all that. So, uh, that led me into books that led me into, you know, um, personal development. And, uh, the more I studied, like once I got into neuroscience and psychology, um, and, uh, well, I started with psychology cause I had actually taken a psych class, um, when I was like 18, I loved it. So I was like, well, I'll start there. And, you know, I'd seen some therapists, psychiatrists and things. Um, but I started doing a self-study. And the more I studied there, then I found neuroscience, then I found neurolinguistics and, you know, all this different stuff and started learning how the mind works and where baggage comes from and all of that. 
and I became fascinated, actually obsessed and addicted because I was finally starting to get answers and starting to see a whole lot of hope that I'd never seen, you know, before in my life. And, um, or I'd seen, it's just, I wasn't aware of it. You know, I had my, uh, my programming set to, uh, to seek and destroy or self-destruction. But anyway, yeah, along that path, it was everything I did, every training I went to, every certification I went through, it was just something I was trying to get from it to kill myself, make me a better person uh, for my kids. And that was it. And then along the way, you know, people who I worked with or different friends who, uh, who were around me, all of a sudden started coming to me for more and more advice and then started referring uh, people to be clients. And I was like, I'm not a coach. I'm not any of that. You know, I worked, uh, I worked in catastrophe management. I was like, I'm not a coach. And they're like, but the results you've been getting and the changes we've seen in you, it's like, you're coaching us all the time. It's like, you're always mentoring us. We're always coming to you for advice. It's like, I want you to, you know, my friend's going through this. I want you to coach them. And, um, so it just kind of found me one day. That was never my intention. Uh, and honestly, then I had to do a lot of work on myself to believe I could even have the right to coach someone. And uh, I had a whole, who am I <laughs> moment there? Who am I to do this? And so dabbled with that for a little while. And then the more I did it, the more I loved it. And that actually just drove the, the desire to, learn more about human behavior and uh, mindset and all of that. Cause I was like, well, if I'm going to be doing this in and with, to be in integrity, it's like, I've got to make sure that I'm really bringing value. And um, I use myself and my whole family as guinea pigs. So I tell every client, it's like everything I'm, we do together, or I ask you to do, I've done it myself first, then my wife, then my kids. And after about six weeks, if nobody starts tweaking or anything and uh, malfunctioning, I know we're good to go. So then I bring it out to, um, you know, clients and things. But yeah, and then now where we're at, I still take on coaching clients. But I've been asked to present a lot of summits, a lot of seminars and things. Um, and I do a lot of demos, you know, I'll bring somebody up on stage and help them get rid of a phobia or, um, or a food addiction or something, you know, in, in just a couple of minutes and, or allergies even. And, um, and that's, and this, this is part of the, when you talk about hypnosis, right? This is things that you're doing. Cause I've heard of, so, and this is what I was curious about. We hear a lot of radio ads for, for people that are, that are traveling and, It'll say, uh, Kit Brooks is coming into town, and if you need to quit smoking, it's, go to this seminar, and you can quit smoking. Is that similar? I mean, is that is that what you're talking about when you're talking about helping people with food addiction in a couple of minutes? Are you, is this through the hypnosis, and is that kind of how you're working right now, or or tell me more about that? It's, yeah, it's, um, it's based out of that. Like, uh, hypnosis has been around um for a few hundred years um so a whole lot of stuff is based out of that with the uh i've taken several hypnosis trainings clinical certified and uh, master hypnos uh, hypnotherapist and everything um so i use a lot of what i've learned from that in the other work i do um because everything in hypnosis realm is working with the unconscious mind. You know, we have a conscious and unconscious mind. Unconscious mind, depending on who you ask, um, studies show it runs between 95% and 99.5% of our life. And the other half percent to 5% is our conscious mind. You know, conscious mind is what you and I are having right now to have, or using right now to have this conversation. And all the listeners are using their conscious mind to hear, uh, whatever battle is coming out of my head, but um, unconscious mind is running our pulse rate and hair growth and digestion, all that, but it's also running all our programming. You know, we hear science say, um, uh, we think somewhere between 70 and a hundred thousand thoughts a day now. And obviously those aren't conscious. Those are all uh, running at an unconscious level. And that's all our programming. That's our values and our beliefs. 
and most of those come from our imprinting phase, which is um, ages zero to seven, when we didn't have what's called a critical faculty, um, the which is the block uh, that decides what we take as truth and what we take as uh, is false. So zero to seven, everything's coming in as truth. Anything we hear um, from our environment, whether even if it's in sarcasm, like you know, at that age, we don't understand sarcasm. So we have all these programmings running underneath the surface and that are um, very much directing the course of our life to levels we were not aware of. Um, and it's been happening so long, you know, it's just, it's on autopilot. And so yeah, hypnosis is all about getting there. The work I do is I link the um, conscious and unconscious because the conscious mind can do just enough to sabotage the path as well as the unconscious mind can sabotage um, what we're trying to do consciously. But if you bring them in both together and get them both playing the game on the, uh, for the same goal, then uh, then the results can be quite amazing. So um, yeah, hypnosis is a small uh, small piece. Of, well, it's uh, there's discoveries from that that have given a great foundation of um, information that I use, but. Um, I have done some straight up typical hypnosis sessions, but I've found other things. I say they were birthed out of that and neuroscience and um, like neurolinguistic programming and psychology and stuff that I like to take the best of all worlds. You know, um, one of my biggest heroes growing up uh, has always been Bruce Lee. When he formed his idea in martial arts was like, there's a whole lot of fluff and filler. So just take the best pieces of each martial art, put them together, and then if you take the best of the best of each style and they mix it together, you have the best. And so I, right. uh, I always which try was, to apply uh, that to what I do. Which was Jeet Kune Do, right? Yes. Yeah. Here, hang on. I'm going to show you something. Sorry, I keep this in my office. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah, do you have this book? <laughs> I have two copies downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah I keep it right here in my office. They did an anniversary edition last year or the year before. And my wife got it for me either for Father's Day or my birthday. I don't know which one, but it's, you know, it's like a hardback cover that protects your sleeve. But yeah, I first read that book when I was, I guess I was like 14. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, I it's, took that. It's an interesting. It's it's very interesting, and I've never I've never made it all the way through it, but uh, uh, it is. And, and if, correct me if I'm wrong. That was that was actually that's a collection of his writings from when he was paralyzed. Correct when he was in the hospital yeah. recovering. Yeah, he had uh, he'd had the idea forever to like I say just strip away the filler and all this stuff, and he's like just make the the most effective um, technique. And then uh, yeah, his wife was pushing him to get it out there. And he had made some different notes along the way or whatever. But then, yeah, once he was, um, once he had hurt, injured his back, I said, well, got a lot of downtime now. <laughs> so started, uh, started actually writing it out. And uh, along with so many others, just, you know, uh, he has a book as well, Striking Thoughts, which is his philosophy book. Um, a lot of brilliant insights in there. But yeah, he's a, I, well, heck, he's kind of the king of mindset. Right? He overcame a ton of stuff. And yeah, for sure. He's 32. So um, yeah, quite amazing. And he came up, you know, at a very uh, racist time in this country and did quite a lot. And his, heck, he had racism from all sides because even his own culture hated him for teaching uh, white people. Yeah, yeah. teaching uh, all of us. So it's like, man, he really overcame <laughs> some stuff. You know? Right. And, He's a pretty inspirational uh, guy, and I've not done a, a whole lot. I don't. I don't know a whole lot about him. I've seen the uh, the documentary. Uh, what's it called? Is it called Enter the Dragon? I think maybe. Can't, is that the documentary? Or, or That's the, what's the I think the documentary is Way of the Dragon. That could be it. Yeah, there's so many different. I know there's dragon I've, in there. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen I've seen the, his documentary and and then and then I've got the the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, the book 
uh, that I'll flip through occasionally. But from what I from what I do know, I mean, he's widely regarded as one of the most remarkable human beings to ever walk the earth. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, and I've um, I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, his martial his you know, Jeet Kune Do is is crap, but then there's other people who say it's the best of the best, and um, I've been in and out of martial arts since I was a kid. And everyone I've ever trained under, they're like, he's legit. They're like, you know, um, the stuff he was able to do, they're like, but, you know, like anything, it's like, it depends on where you're applying his style. So, you know, his style won't work in an MMA tournament because he's all about, there are no rules. You do what you got to do to survive and win. Like, that was his thing. Um, and then, uh, uh, but heck, and even his his approach um, to martial arts and his whole idea of be like water is what actually birthed parkour and free running and, you know, stuff like that. It was that concept. They're like, yeah, we can just flow and, you know, uh, be like the essence of water and you don't have to walk around things. You don't have to, you know, stop and like strategically climb something, whatever. It's like, you can just flow right over it or right through it. And it was um, like, uh, uh, fascinated me. Like like Tony Jaw, that dude is is insane. That he does a lot. Have you ever watched any of the Tony Jaw movies? But he's he's a, he's a very very good martial artist. But he does the parkour too, and he does all of his own stunts yeah. with no special effects. And he'll just free run, and then it's it's uh it's pretty crazy stuff. And I, I think that he uh I'm pretty sure that he's a, a pretty big Bruce Lee guy too. I think that I've heard him talk about how a lot of what he formed as his style came from, from the, the Bruce Lee teachings. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I remember seeing an interview somewhere that, uh, to talk about how influenced by Bruce Lee, uh, he was. And, uh, and that's actually how on Jackie Chan, I was watching this documentary once on like the greatest, um, you know, martial arts movie stars of all time. When I was a teenager watching it, and I remember they had Jackie Chan on there, and they talked about the way Jackie Chan got his break was Bruce Lee, and it's because he was on um, I can't remember which uh, which movie it was. Uh, it was Fist of Fury or what? But um, there was a scene where Bruce Lee was supposed to kick somebody out of a window, and you know, of course, they all wanted to stage it, and Bruce wanted to do it legit. And the guy, the stuntman that was supposed to do it was wanting to wear all these padding because he was tired of getting kicked by Bruce. <laughs> and uh, Jackie Chan was there trying to get his, you know, uh, spot at least as a stuntman, something to get noticed. And he was on set and um, uh, he stepped up and he's like, you know, basically, Mr. Lee, I'll do it. No pads, nothing. And because uh, they were also going to put the guy on a string or a cord or whatever and like yank him out. Yeah. Bruce wanted authentic. He's like, I can kick him through that window. I just need somebody brave enough to do it. And Jackie Chan said, I'll do it. No pads, nothing. And Bruce is like, are you insane? He's like, I can take it once. And uh, kicked him out of the window. Exactly how I was supposed to do. And uh, Jackie was like, that's the hardest thing that's ever hit me, ever. But Bruce had so much respect for him. So then on, he like worked on all his movies with him. And then, you know, uh, Bruce started making calls for him and things and, you know, getting him, uh, trying to help him make it and uh uh yeah and ever since yeah yeah uh, i mean he's Jackie's he's been a mega star. he's pretty much the biggest of all time when you think about you know when you think about martial artists as movie stars i can't think of anybody that has a name bigger than jackie chan does you know yeah yeah been around forever has done all of it and uh you started out in the whole comedy part of it but then it started showing like he actually he can be a serious actor, you know, it's he, uh, it's he matured and stuff. And yeah, that's a, he's a whole different other type of person as well. You know, um, was it rumble in the Bronx? He, he broke his ankle on one of the stunts and they wanted him to take off six weeks or whatever for six weeks for it to heal. And instead he just put a sock over his cast and colored it like his shoe and went on and did that. There's a barefoot water skiing thing scene in the movie. And he's on a cast and like just wow. dude's nuts. That's gotta be about the toughest human being on the planet. <laughs> well that's I mean, but that's 
that's what you teach though right i mean that's it's the the willpower to overcome and and choosing and and uh, making the 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 conscious and subconscious decision that you're not going to be held down by adversity and you're gonna you're gonna achieve everything in life that you want if, if you put your or everything in life that that you put your mind towards so yeah, that's a good that's a good example of of something that you that you teach right yeah if you can get um yeah well this time of year what is it is uh, let's see it's january 14th so right around now there's a whole lot of new year's resolutions just crumbling and being given up on you know i haven't even started this? mine yet <laughs> <laughs> hey there might be something to that because they say so many people set them january 1st and by january uh 15th like 80 something percent of people have just given up on them. So maybe if you wait past that window, that might be that might be the magic sauce. That's that it. A lot of people are missing. But I'm gonna go um, with that. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, you know, the conscious mind is the goal setter. The unconscious mind is actually the goal getter. So if they're not in alignment, you know, if you're saying, um, oh, I want to weigh, um, you know, I want to have 12% body fat and be able to do 100 push-ups a day, um, but you have an unconscious belief that. Um, you know, it's not safe to be healthy. Like I actually had, um, I had a client, she was actually a, a student of mine, a mentor. Uh, that's what we do, Brooks Empowerment Academies, actually train other coaches how to, uh, how to do these release techniques and things. And had a um, student and a client who was raped when she was eight years old. And it created a belief in her um, over time then uh, one of the ways to keep that from happening again was to hold on to a bunch of body weight. And um, when she had the realization she had gone out to dinner with um, with a guy, not for a date, just um, as friends or whatever. And actually, I think he was friends with her daughter, if I remember correctly, but um, he's a college-age kid. Um, and when she left, she was like, she noticed she felt uneasy, but then as she got outside, she's like, this voice popped up in her head, and it was her voice when she was a kid. It says, okay, you're safe. Um, you're too fat. No one's going to want you anyway. And it was that, like, um, it was just that safety, putting on layers to try to protect ourselves. And uh, so if you have a belief that is rooted in that strong, you're just not going to be able to overcome it consciously till you release the the baggage and negative belief around it because you know our uh, th this is why affirmations so often don't work for people is because affirmations is a conscious effort and you're trying to overcome the unconsciousness and like we talked about it's a 95% versus 5% ratio but the um, the number to kind of give it a little better visual here is um, the unconscious mind every single second is processing 4 million bits of information. I've heard as much as 40 million, but nobody can agree on what a bit of information is. So I'll go with the smallest number and it's 4 million because that's a lot of crap to be going through every single second. Conscious mind in that same second can only process 126 bits, not 126,000, not 12,000, say 126. So you've got this 126 processor trying to hack a four million bit processor. It's just never going to happen. And um, found some mathematicians and got them to uh, do the little equation for me. If you, because um, math is not my strong suit. Human behavior, I got that. Math is not me. So if you take a drop of water and have it represent a bit of information, that four million bits is about 114.6 gallons or something like that. So 114 uh, gallons of water every single second. It's a nice little waterfall. However, the conscious mind can only pick up on 1.1 teaspoons out of that, uh, out of that 114 gallons. So um, that's, uh, that's why so often we set a goal and then there's sabot we self-sabotage along the way or we can't even get started on it. It's because there's something running unconscious at 114 gallons a second telling us it's not safe or it's not good for us or whatever it is. And it's been going so long typically that we're not even aware of it until we start running through some of these techniques to release it. And it's actually 
even though it's been running a lifetime, it's actually quite easy once you understand how the mind works. Um, you know, I've had, I worked with somebody who had PTSD and they were able to release it in 12 minutes. Um, they'd had it since they were four and they were turning, uh, their 50th birthday was three days after I worked with them. Um, had someone else with an anaphylactic allergy, phobia, social anxiety, and that was a 20 minute session. It's, um, cause the mind works very simplistically and it functions, the unconscious mind functions very much like a toddler. Um, our conscious mind is the same age as we are. And that's a lot of times where people have the disconnect because what the unconscious mind is doing doesn't make sense to us consciously. You know, if um, a four-year-old's running around, trips and falls, you have kids that age, anyone who's been around a kid has seen at some point, you know, a four-year-old to be running um, through unstable rocky ground or, you know, just running around not looking, run into a wall or trip over something and it's they'll start blaming, you know, the wall hurt my head or, you know, the, um, the hole tripped me or whatever. And it's like, they don't, you know, they don't have the, um, the life experience and wisdom to you know, be like, you know, if I would have been watching where I was going or, you know, if I was running on smoother ground or if I would have tied my shoes, I wouldn't have stepped on the laces and tripped myself. You know, it's not the shoelaces faults, you know, it was something I did. So like it's the, um, the client I had who had an anaphylactic allergy, she was, uh, she was a rape victim and raped as a teenager. And the unconscious mind created this allergy to garlic. And the reason why is because they had just cooked, it was someone she knew, um, and they had just cooked with a lot of garlic. So he had garlic on his breath. There's garlic in the air. She had just eaten garlic as well. So the unconscious mind looks for the common patterns and it's like, okay, I'm feeling this pain. And I taste garlic, smell garlic, see garlic, it must be garlic. And it's like, I'm gonna install an allergy that's gonna keep us away from this. Cause if we stay away from garlic, it must mean we'll stay away from this pain. And unconscious mind's number one prime directive is to protect us. So it would rather create this allergy um, to keep us uncomfortable in order to keep us safe from a much bigger pain. Um, and obviously like we as adults at our conscious level can look at that and say, no, it was, you know, this guy chose to do this overpowered and beat her in this initially, you know, and all of that. But the unconscious mind again, works just like a four or five year old. And it just, it looks for the commonalities and it puts them together there because it generalizes, distorts and deletes information. Cause again, it's, you know, it's 4 million, bits every single second and it's trying to process. It doesn't have the luxury of time. Um, it gets that much information in, in a second and it has to process it and come up with a solution um, or a decision or whatever in that same second, the way it functions. Once you understand how all that works, we can go in every single memory, every experience, every, um, doesn't even have to be a memory. It can be a fantasy of, you know, some kind of uh, goal that we're setting for the future. Every one of those has like its own little vault code and once you understand how to elicit it you can open the vault take it out change the experience and reinstall it with a new uh new code and you're good to go and it like I say oftentimes can take way less than people think um tony robbins said uh, as you know change happens in an instant he's like it just takes people time to get there you know he's like people are like oh it took me 10 years but i finally changed and he's like no it took you 10 years to get ready and finally be willing and open to actually make the change um, or 10 years to discover what would happen is that, but the change, the decision happens in an instant. It really does. It just sometimes takes us time to find it. That's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> to, to, when you talk about uh, the conscious actions, you know, when you talk about the, the woman that you helped that was a rape victim and the conscious action of her actually being raped and how you were able to help, the, the subconscious of her mind developed this sensory, uh, you know, what this this got this garlic, you know, that she developed this allergy because that's you know that was the sensory that was going off. It was in the air. It was she could smell it, she could taste it. While this this brutal thing happened to her, so her subconscious developed uh, a defense against garlic, I guess. 
and it, it it's almost it makes you wonder and, and this may be something that you actually have looked into but it the only thing i can think about is if that is the if that's what's going on between her conscience and her subconscious what has got to be in the subconscious of the man that did that to her to make him act so brutally consciously because there's got to be something in his subconscious that is pushing him to do something that's so egregious and so brutal to another person. And, and, and when you think about it like that, I mean, have you ever get involved with the other side of things, somebody who was not a victim, but maybe who was a, a perpetrator and help to figure out, okay, well, is there something subconsciously that is driving these acts that you're doing, these, these, these criminal, this, this behavior that is so bad and, and you're doing these evil things subconsciously if we can figure out why maybe we can like you can block it like where it's where they're not a repeat offender and they they get over whatever it is that is the driving force from their subconscious to make their conscious self want to do these bad things yeah it's um i've never gotten to work with um someone on that side that's been at that extreme um yeah i totally would I've worked with people a little bit more down the the rung there, um, but uh, never gotten to work with an actual someone a rapist, you know, someone took action on it or murder or something like that. Um, but I have worked with a lot of people who've who have even admitted it's like it takes everything I can to you know fight that off or whatever. Um, and for whatever reason as well, when I was uh, when I was a kid, or, you know, teenager, uh, and even early twenties, I was fascinated with, uh, let's say I was always kind of fascinated by psychology and especially serial killers. And it really came from one time I was, um, a really good friend of mine still to this day. We've, we've been friends for well over 20 years now. Um, and he was like, he said, man, and one night we're you know, hanging out drinking and who knows what else but he was like you uh um he was fascinated with serial killers and he's like you just he's like every time i spend time with you he's like i'm amazed because he's like you should be a serial killer that's like an odd thing to say but he's like well he's like if you look at the their uh he had this whole serial killer encyclopedia set and um because if you go through that and read, he's like, they all had these like kind of messed up family lines. And he's like, yours fits in there. And that always kind of stuck with me. So I started studying serial killers and um, trying to figure out, um, okay, what's the difference there? So it's always kind of been there. And then I say, as, um, as I started working with people, um, uh, it's funny, I attract, a, I've attracted a lot of people who've been like, rape or abuse victims and then i have attracted the other side and i feel like with some of the stuff i've been through in life that i've actually been uh both people a little bit um i actually have a few different times where i would physically pick a fight with someone someone who was actually a friend of mine and i couldn't control it um at the time and uh, but uh one thing i've seen with all that one belief i have um and actually one of the things we teach coaches and it, it's uh we have these presuppositions we teach and it's like if you pre presuppose this in any interaction with a client um it's going to completely change the uh, the outcome you know and um it's going to help you be better for them it's going to help them feel more comfortable and get to a release and the hardest one for anybody to get or uh like take on and it's completely understandable is uh it's like people are not their behavior uh except the person change the behavior and uh that causes a lot of uh challenge for people we've even had someone drop out of program because like, i can't accept that one nope and um it's like, i'm not telling you to do it all the time but it's like it, the better you can um bring that into your life the more um, openly you're going to be able to work with someone and uh, but anyway 
I have, as I took that on myself, because it, it brought up a lot for me as well, because I was like, no way. You know, I was right, like I said, that time at eight years old with my dad, I learned there that I was like, by withholding forgiveness and holding a grudge towards somebody, I have a superpower. It's like I can beat anybody that way, you know, through the power of my mind, but it's like it showed up as that. So I held grudges for a long time. Um, so this one presupposition was very difficult for me to uh, even listen to, much less apply. But as I've gone on and, you know, I've done youth empowerment workshops and different camps and things, done speaking, uh, youth empowerment, given my past life, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. One thing I'm saying and a belief that I have that I'll, I'll never be convinced otherwise is every person comes into this world um, as, as, you know, is just love. That's all we're looking for. You know, and um, I mean, you have kids that's, you've been around kids it's like babies thing i can't see one coming in with this like evil programming you know, so to speak and there's things that happen along our path just like my study of uh, serial killers and things it's like for whatever reason because like with the serial killer things like, oh this happened to you and this happened to ed Gein. you know this one of the most well-known serial killers it's like how come you ended up this way? He ended up that way. And people look at that one little instance, but it's not that. It's all the other stuff that was going on before that. And then there's something that happens and flips a switch, takes a person this way or takes a person you know, the other way. Um, and those are moments of transformation. It's just we always see transformation as a good thing, and that's how it's you know, laid out there, and it should be. But just like something can happen and flip a switch to where you finally reach a threshold and it's like, no, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going to stop cheating on my wife or, you know, um, I'm going to stop uh, being an absent father or, you know, I'm going to stop eating myself to death and I'm going to change. I'm going to, you know, get on a good nutrition plan, hire a fitness coach and then, you know, um, get my life in check. Just like there's those moments of uh, threshold for people to do something empowering with their life. There's people that experience things that their programming leads to a threshold that takes them in another way. Um, but everything someone does, the more, I, uh, this was another one that was really, I really struggled with for a while, but, um, but I can say it's true just from my own experience. And I never even came close to raping anyone or anything like that. But, Everything people do is still a way to try to get love. Um, it's just the delivery mechanism gets really screwed up sometimes, obviously like that. And I mean, obviously I wasn't there when um, Melissa was raped, but I have for permission to use her uh, name and story and everything. But um, so I can't know what was going through his mind, but I know in some form he was trying to feel a, a need and unfortunately, in his uh, faulty programming, he believed that was an okay way to do that. Um, and I'm not condoning it, I don't support it. It's like there is something in there through life patterns that has brought people like that to believe that this is how I get significance <clears throat> or this is how I get love, this is how I get acceptance or whatever it is. and. Because uh, people really are doing the best they can do with resources they have available. And they're not aware of another way. That's why some people, to provide for their family, will go and rob a store or rob a person. Other people will go out and just hustle on the side of the street and beg. It's like, you know, I'll do anything for money. You know? um, uh, it's programming that's led us one way or another. It's our belief structure inside. And, um, uh, you know, I had a very good friend of mine, mentor for a long time as well. He um, he witnessed his mom murder the guy he considered his dad. It was his stepdad. And then witnessed her try to cover it up and frame the uh, his stepdad's ex-wife. And he was a, he was a kid when that happened. And, uh, and his mom was also a prostitute and used to service her clients right in front of him his whole entire childhood he wow. should have grown up being you know some kind of just 
twisted statistic locked away in a prison cell by doing something. And he's actually one of the most caring people I've ever met in my life. He has his, his court, you know, little quirks and things, but he's a, he's a great parent, great husband, and an amazing entrepreneur. Does a lot of stuff for um, uh, for community and for you know his clients and things. So it's um, he had even with all the faulty programming he had, there was still he had such a desire uh, to be a good man, and he had witnessed a couple of people when he was younger. Um, be just very strong individuals, read a lot about uh, different people, like actually Bruce Lee was one of them. So he had enough draw there and enough belief there that he was able to um, actually in a moment of preparing to commit suicide, something clicked for him and he's like, wait a minute, I can do something different. If I'm feeling this, someone else is. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it really goes it's back. a hard one to wrap around, but yeah, it's like it's it's coming from in that twisted, foggy lens that they have. It's it's coming from a place of a desire for love. Well, it just and, doesn't come out at all in the right way. And his story, you know, your friend's story is is a testimony to to what we basically started out the podcast with was that some of the most inspirational people come from the most adversity and have had to overcome the most egregious. And, and adverse things in their life and and there's when when you go through trauma especially as a child uh you can as, as you start to grow up you can either develop the type of personality that gives in and that that develops uh, the mindset of just always expecting bad always looking for bad always looking for reasons and excuses or you can find a way to turn yourself into somebody who overcomes and rises above life's challenges and, and the adverse things that, that are, that are coming onto you. And I think a lot of it too, um, is, is like, is, is like, uh, like having a coach, having a mentor, having somebody, uh, to, to guide you and steer you in the right direction or somebody just to tell, tell you, you know, Hey, you know, just because this is what you came up in, doesn't mean this is where you have to stay you know there there's there is a way out and you know and, and i think for a lot of people that's the most important thing and that's why i appreciate the work that you're doing because for uh, i'm sure a lot of your clients i mean you are that person you're that person that is coming into their life and saying look you, it's bad there's been bad but i'm going to teach you how to find the good and how to make sure that you use the good to overcome the bad and, and show you that there is a way out of, of this negativity that you're trapped in, in your mind. So that's a, that's a very, very inspirational. Uh, well, listen, man, I really, I really enjoyed it. We're going to wrap up. I want to bring you back on though. Again, will you come back and, and talk to us again? Oh, totally, so, man. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Now yeah, I see. Is absolutely. that a is that a podcast there behind you? What's that? Oh, yeah, uh, we actually. Um, uh, my wife was playing around with that. We just um, we've been recording episodes. We've been talking about it forever, and finally we're like, okay, we're just putting it out. So um, here in about a week or so, um, we'll be officially launching. But um, okay, well, yeah, if uh, root cause of success podcast, the root cause of success podcast. Are you guys going to be on all platforms? Uh, Spotify, Amazon, yeah. everything. Yep awesome we've actually uh yeah uploaded a couple of episodes on all just to go ahead and have it ready so that way when we officially launch uh there's no lag on that so there's actually a couple of episodes on there now but uh yeah we'll be doing the uh official launch um can't remember the exact day but it's before the end of the month okay so, yeah. uh, and we talk about a lot of this like how the mind works and you know different things and you know why goal setting doesn't work for people or you know whatever we cover all sorts of things and um yeah well, that's definitely one I'm going to subscribe to, so I'll uh, I'll be sure to I'll check it out for sure. Appreciate it. Uh, well, listen, if if somebody wants to get a get in touch with you guys, or somebody wants to get a hold of y'all, uh, or wants to learn more about what you offer as far as you know coaching and, and hypnosis and and being able to help uh, individuals deal with with some of the things that you help with, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? What's your website? Uh, what's your info for for anybody that wants to reach out? The um, the website we're going through and actually getting ready to do a big rephase and update on it 
because uh, it got a little dated because we do a, so much stuff through you know social media and click funnels, but it's still there uh, and still can contact us through it. So it's brooksempowermentacademy.com. Um, also, I'm on you know LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, is Kip Brooks. Um, yeah, reach out to me there. Um, anything at all, any questions, any, any, uh, any disagreements, whatever, you know, I, uh, I love this stuff. Um, and I just want to see exactly what you were saying. It's, uh, everything. If I have one superpower, it's, it's, it's being able to recognize possibility for someone else and then doing everything I can to help them come to, uh, to see it as well. Cause I know what it's like to not feel that, not see it and not have anybody see it in you. So, that's been the uh, driving force for everything I do. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Anybody reach out with anything. Always, uh, always love to connect with people and, you know, do what I can to help them along the way. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you this morning. I appreciate it. We'll definitely have to do it again. Yeah, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Anytime. All right, guys. Well, I'm glad we worked through all the glitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks, buddy. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another BusyDad.com podcast. Please be sure to check out our website, BusyDad.com. That's B-U-S-I-D-A-D.com. We will post links to all of our podcasts. Check out our merch. Buy you a hoodie. Subscribe to follow us. And uh, we'll talk to everybody later. See you all later.